Let's take our hymn books, and would you turn with me to number 527. We praise thee, O God, 527. Good morning and welcome here. Good to see all of you here this morning. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. Welcome also to any guests that we have here. We're glad that you've joined us. Our daughter Cheryl is here for the weekend, so she has joined us here as well. So welcome Cheryl and anyone else who is here. Glad that you joined us. Also to those who are watching us or anyone listening to us, uh, Thank you also for joining us. Epiphany was on Friday of this past week. That's the day on the church calendar when we remember the Magi or the wise men who were searching for Jesus. And we read in Matthew how they followed the star to Bethlehem where they found Jesus the Messiah. They likely traveled thousands of miles to search for him and when they found him, they presented him with gifts, and then they worshiped him. So we don't have to travel thousands of miles to be with Jesus. In Matthew 1, verse 23, we read, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is ever-present. He is always with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and faithfulness. We thank you for Jesus, whose birth we've just celebrated again. He was willing to come into the world to save us from our sins. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and we thank you. Lord, as we spend this time in worship, we thank you for being here. 
May all that is done be to your honor and glory. Amen. Ask Pastor Victor to lead us in singing. This morning, in uh, keeping with uh, what Pastor Dean will be speaking on in 2 Corinthians, I direct you to number 338. Number 338. The English in here is a little old. Uh, the tune is familiar, uh, but we may not have sung it out of this hymn book uh, much. Thy way and all thy sorrows. Then turn to number 534, a familiar hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Would you stand with me to sing? 534.
So let's take a brief look at our bulletin. So we move down, uh, missionaries of the week are Preston and Myra Wheeler. They work with Leader Impact. Let's continue to remember them. And Pemina Valley Bible Camp. Uh, let's pray for the staff there as they continue to be busy throughout the winter. Our Sunday school is starting up again today after uh, Christmas break. There's some information there about our discovery groups that are starting up. And then also men's prayer time and the Wednesday Bible study. Uh, both will be starting up again this Wednesday after uh, taking a Christmas break. Committee reports. Uh, if you haven't submitted your report yet, please do so. Susan would like to have those. Um, Friday is the deadline for that, so please get them in. And under persons with health needs, we have Mary Duick, Dave Dick, Jeremiah Lexier, and John Suderman in Boundary Trails uh, Health Center. Tina Wheeler is, has, is no longer there. Tina passed away yesterday. So let's uh, remember the family during this time. Also, one that's not in the bulletin, Abe Weeb, is in St. Boniface Hospital. Abe had surgery, and uh, yeah, from what we hear, the surgery has gone well. So let's also pray for Abe and his family. Uh, there's a note of thanks from Hank Lawson and his family. Continue to remember them. And uh, deacon commissioning uh, was originally uh, scheduled for this morning, but that has also been moved to the 29th. And then right at the back, uh, under coming events, we have a soup and pie lunch coming up, and uh, we just forgot to put the date in, or not the date, the start time. Uh, our worship service is going to start at 10 o'clock that morning on the 22nd, so keep that in mind. And we're going to have a fellowship lunch after that. Ushers, if you're ready, you can come forward. And then also, just a note, uh, Susan asked me to mention, some of you are waiting for the Our Daily Bread large print. And if you haven't already picked yours up, they are available now, and they are in the church library, so you can pick a copy up there. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, come before you, Lord, and we thank you that you are God. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the creator and sustainer of all that there is, and we thank you. We pray, Father, for those who are in the hospital. We pray for Mary Duick, Dave Dick, Jeremiah Lexier, John Suderman, and Boundary Trails, Father, some of them have been there for a long time, and um, at least one is nearing the end of, of his life's journey. We just pray, Father, that you would be near to them, that they would have a sense of your presence and your peace, and that you would grant healing according to your will. We pray for Abe Weeb. We thank you that his surgery was successful, and Father, we ask that Abe would recover well, that he would not experience any complications from his surgery. And we pray also, Lord, your hand of healing on those who are at home and are also dealing with health issues of some kind. God, we ask that you would continue to grant your comfort to Hank Clausen and his family, and also now to the family of Tina Wheeler, uh, as well as other families, Lord, from our congregation, from our community, that are grieving the loss of a loved one. God, we thank you for our missionaries who have left home to serve you, and we pray today for Preston and Myra as they continue to serve with Leader Impact and as they share the good news of Jesus with leaders in various parts of the world, we ask that you would continue to bless their ministry. We pray for Pemina Valley Bible Camp, as well as Winkler Bible Camp, and we thank you for 
the opportunity that they have to share about Jesus with children at their summer camps. And I'll also, Father, guide them as they host retreats throughout the winter. And we pray for our church, Lord. We thank you for our church, and we ask for continued guidance as we seek to be faithful to you and to your word. Be with Pastor Dean as he brings the message today, and Lord, may we have open hearts to hear what you have to say through him. And now as we uh, give our gifts, we thank you, God, for material blessings that you bestow on us. And we pray that these gifts would be used to further your work. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue
to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Good morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Beautiful day out there. When we think of beautiful days, we think it's nice, and because it's nice on the outside, we say it's good on the inside also. But what would it matter if it was ugly on the outside, but we were still in the house where it is warm? And so it should be for the Christian life. The, as we put our trust in Christ, it doesn't matter what circumstances happen or what circumstances happen in our lives. If Christ is in the center, then there is peace, there is joy, there is happiness. Can evil and suffering still exist in if a loving, all-powerful God controls the universe? That is the question. Can evil and suffering still exist if a loving, all-powerful God controls the universe? Lee Strobel, who holds a master's of studies in law from Yale Law School, as well as a journalism degree from the University of Missouri, is a former legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. His awards include Illinois's high honors for both investigative reporting and community from the universe, from United Press International. The interesting thing about Lee Strobel is that he was an atheist. However, in 1980 and 81, he used his investigating skills to interview 13 leading experts on the historical evidence of Jesus Christ. After examining the claims of Christ, he then put his faith in Christ because he found that those claims were true. He then became, as I said, a Christian because of the historical evidence that was presented. And then he wrote a book entitled, With the Discovery, The Case for Christ. That has been around for some time. If you have an opportunity to read it, I encourage you to read it. Following The Case for Christ, he wrote a sequel entitled, The Case for Faith, in which he deals with the toughest objections to Christianity. And one of the most strenuous objections is how a loving God can permit suffering and evil. And at times, we ask that question ourselves. Here is how atheists and agnostics and skeptics put forth the argument. If a God is all-powerful and loving, and there is suffering and evil exist, then God cannot be good. If God is good and suffering and evil exists, then God is not omnipotent and all-powerful. Isn't that interesting? In, other, in either way, it seems that God loses. The thought behind this is that suffering and evil cannot exist parallel, parallel to a loving God. So if God is all-powerful and controls everything and there's evil, then there must be a problem. However, there is no problem at all. This is a objection Strobel is faced with as he begins the book with an interview of the former great evangelist Charles Templeton, who had turned agnostic. He gave up his faith. Atheist, uh, atheism says there is no God, and an agnostic simply says we don't know if there is. We can't know him or know that for sure. Templeton was Billy Graham's good friend and an outstanding evangelist who drew crowds of tens of thousands of people, and yet he shed his belief in God. Strobel gets to the heart of the matter as he talks with Templeton, and he does an interview with him. This is what took place in the interview. Was there one thing in particular that caused you to lose your faith in God? I asked at the outset. He thought for a moment. It was a photograph in the Life magazine, he said finally. Really, I said, a photograph? How so? He narrowed his eyes a bit and looked off to the side, as if he were viewing the photo afresh and reliving the moment. It was a picture of a black woman in North Africa, he explains. They were experiencing a devastating drought, and she was holding her dead baby in her arms and looking up to heaven with the forlorn expression. I looked at it and I thought, 
is it possible to believe that there is a loving or a caring creator when all this woman needed was some rain? As he emphasized the word rain, he bush, his bushy gray eyebrows shot up and his arms gestured towards heaven as if beckoning a response. How could a loving God do this to that woman? He, impl he implored as he gets more animated, moving to the edge of his chair. Who runs the rain? I don't, you don't, he does. Or that's what I thought. But when I saw the photograph, I immediately knew it is not possible for this to happen and for, and for there to be a loving God. There was no way. Who else but a fiend could destroy a baby and virtually kill its mother with agony when all that was needed was rain? He paused, letting the question hang heavy, heavily in the air. Then he settled back into his chair. That was the climatic moment, he said. And then I began to think further about the world being the creation of God. I started considering the plagues that swept across the parts of the planet and indiscriminately kill more often than not, painfully all kinds of people, the ordinary, the deceitful, and the rotten. And it just became crystal clear to me that it is not possible for an intelligent person to believe that there is a deity who loves." Close quote. As we can see, one of the reasons Temp Templeton and others have rejected the Christian faith is that they cannot, they cannot reconcile an all-powerful loving God with suffering and evil that occurs. They conclude, if God is all-powerful, if he's loving, and evil exists, that cannot be, that cannot be. After the interview with Templeton, Strobel met with Peter Kreft, a philosopher who had earned a PhD and had been a professor for the past 30 years. Strobel tells Kreft the story of the interview with Temp Templeton and then asks Kreft how he would have responded to Templeton. That's interesting. What would be a second part? to this. Kreft cleared his throat. First of all, he began, I've, I'd focus on his words. It is not possible. Even David Hume, one of history's most famous skeptics, said it's just barely possible that God exists. That's at least a somewhat reasonable position to say that there's at least some possibility. But to say there is no possibility that a loving God who knows far more than we do, including about our future, could possibly tolerate such evil as Templeton sees in, Af in the Africa well, that strikes me intellectually arrogant. And then Strobel said, that took me back. Really, I asked. How so? Kraft replied. How can a mere finite human be sure that the infinite wisdom would not tolerate such short-term range evils in order for more long-range good that would happen and that he could foresee, he asked. How could this, or how, how could he see the point but need, or pardon me, I could see the point but need an example. He said elaborate, and so he did. Kraft thought for a moment. Look at, look at it this way, he said. Would you agree that there is a difference between us and God who is greater than the, than the difference between us and, say, a bear? I nodded. Okay, then, imagine a bear and a tramp and a hunter who, out of sympathy, wants to liberate him. He tries to win the bear's confidence, but he can't do it. So he shoots the bear full of drugs. The bear, however, thinks that this is an attack that the hunter is trying to kill him. He doesn't realize that this is being done out of compassion. Then in order to get the bear out of the trap, the hunter has to push him further into the trap to release the tension on the spring. If the bear were semi-conscious at this point, 
he would even be more convinced that the hunter was the enemy who wanted, who was out to cause him pain and suffering. But the bear would be wrong. He reaches the incorrect conclusion because he is not a human being. And then Kreft let the illustration soak in for a moment. Now he concluded, how can anyone be certain that's not an analogy between us and God? I believe God does the same to us sometimes, and we cannot comprehend why he does it any more than the bear who can't understand the motives of the hunter. As the bear could have trusted the hunter, so we can trust God." Close quote. Now, since the fall of man, suffering and evil has always been here for us. It has always existed. The apostle Paul was keenly aware of it. He understood what it meant to serve God. He understood what it also meant to suffer for the Lord. So this morning, we want to begin a series of messages through the book of 2 Corinthians, growing deeper in the Lord, growing deeper in the Lord. This morning's message is entitled, The Purpose of Suffering, found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This is a two-part message, and we'll only look at the first point of today's message, which is the purpose of, a, of suffering. Number one, the purpose of suffering that we will look at today is is easier to accept when you know and are in the will of God, verses 1 through 2. The purpose of suffering is easier to accept when you know and are in the will of God. Let me read those two verses that we want to focus on this morning. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is one thing that Paul knew and understood was this, that he was called of God. If a believer knows one thing because the fellowship that he has with Jesus Christ is that we have a relationship and we have been called by God. When we have been called by God, our faith is firm because we walk with him now and we walk with him in the future. And as we walk, God proves himself always. We have communication with the Lord and the fellowship is sweet. Paul was no stranger to suffering. When he first came to Christ, the Lord struck him with blindness on the road to Damascus. He was just laid right out, and God got his attention. Maybe perhaps your salvation experience was different. You made a decision for Christ, and like myself, the day that I made a decision, I felt the burden lifted from my shoulders. I felt like a new person. It was the best day of my life. I was 12 years old when I gave my life to Christ. The Apostle Paul had a different experience. He was laid right out there, and he had to cry out to Lord, Who art thou, Lord? If we could interview Paul today, I'm sure he would say the day he suffered blindness and had to be led around was the best day of his life because he came to know Christ that day. His life was changed. It was going to even be worse, which I'll explain in a moment, but it was the best day because Jesus was going to be walking with him through every trial and tribulation that he would experience. Many years ago, a young man who worked at Burger King in the States was accused of mur murdering another employee. He was sentenced to life in prison. Ten years later, the person who said he witnessed the murder said that he lied about it and he did not see him actually kill this individual. Thus, the man was set free. When this man was interviewed later, they asked him, are you angry or upset now that you spent 10 years of the best years of your life while you were young in prison? And the man said, no. He said, while I was in prison, I found Christ, the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And perhaps I would have never found him if I hadn't gone to prison. I'm sure that when, Paul, when the Lord 
struck Paul with blindness. He had no idea about the suffering, but his life was changed. However, it did, the suffering did not stop because the Lord told Ananias that Paul would suffer much on the, on the behalf of the name of the Lord. So Paul knew from the beginning that he was going to suffer, and suffer he did for the kingdom and for the Lord. I believe that two things help us give, help give understanding and acceptance to suffering that he, that he was going through. First, he knew how much Christ suffered for him on the cross. Therefore, he felt it a privilege to suffer for the Lord. Here's the question for you and I. Here's a question for us this morning. Do we count it a privilege to suffer for the Lord or to suffer because we live in a fallen world? Do we count it a privilege? Or are we like the children of Israel who were always complaining and grumbling as God delivered them out of the hand of Pharaoh into the promised land? They complained all the way. And perhaps maybe I complain too much. Perhaps maybe you complain too much. As God leads us, we grumble all the way because we don't like the suffering, we don't like the hardships, and we don't like some of the tribulation that he brings us through. Second, he had a deep personal relationship with God. Paul had a deep personal relationship with Christ, and he knew that the Lord would make something good out of his suffering. Yes, something good out of his suffering. That's why Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things, in all things God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. I remember listening when I was young to a pastor's son. And this individual had gone through a lot of hardship. And I heard him speak and he said, there's one verse that I never wanted to hear, and it was this, and we know that all things work together for, the, for good for those who love him. He didn't want to hear that because he had too much. And sometimes we think we have too much, but God gives us strength if we turn to him. There are two reasons why God allows us to suffer. In your bulletin, there's a quote by John Piper. Take it and turn to the last page where the quotes are. I'll give you a moment to turn to it. Listen to what it says. Two reasons. One is the moral or spiritual purpose. In suffering, we come, we, we come to hope more fully in God and put less confidence in the things of the world. I want to repeat that. This is one of the reasons why God allows us to suffer. In suffering, we come to hope more fully in God and put less confidence in the things of the world. Second, there is an intimacy purpose. We come to know Christ better when we share his sufferings. Yes, that is so true. When we suffer and we realize the answer is not in the world, we shed the things of the world and we put our confidence in Christ. We walk with him then, and God allows that for us many times. Second, the intimacy purpose. We come to know Christ better when we share his sufferings. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death. What does the phrase mean, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering? It does not mean Christ's substitutionary suffering when he paid for sin on the cross of everyone. It doesn't mean sharing in that suffering. Instead, it is suffering for the sharing of the gospel and for living a righteous life. It's suffering for who we are in Christ Jesus. So Paul counted that a privilege to fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. How much did Paul suffer and endure hardship to proclaim the gospel? He tells the Corinthians a little later in, the, in 
Uh, the second, in 2 Corinthians chapter um, 11, the one that we, the book we are studying, chapter, uh, verses 23 and uh, 28, if you have your Bibles, take and turn your Bibles there to that portion. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. I'll give you a moment to look that up. Listen to what Paul has to say. If there was a man who suffered for the Lord, it was him. Verse 23, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in dangers from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my, uh, the, the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Wow, to hear what Paul experienced. And most of us don't have any type of idea of living any of that type of life. He suffered greatly for the Lord. He suffered to the fullest, yet he knew the Lord was working everything out for his good and for God's glory. Those of you who have been parents of small children know it's hard to give your child horrible tasting medicine. Have you all given your child horrible tasting medicine? First, it's bad enough to see your child suffering from an illness, but even worse, having to shove the medicine down their throat when they will not take it, and the doctor says, you need to give it to them if they're going to get better. It is hard. However, one thing I've learned about my children is that the older that they became, the more they realize the pain you inflict on them when they are sick is only for their good. My son used to hate Buckley's. He'd make that strange face after you put it in his mouth. But then he came to appreciate it because it was the only stuff that would stop him from coughing. That's the same way with God. The more that you walk with him and trust him, the more you will accept the suffering that you are going through, the more you will see the plan, the more that you understand that you have been called, the more and the better relationship that you have with the Lord, the easier it is to walk with him and to accept whatever he has for you. You may not like it. You may not understand it. But the most important thing, you will know that God is working out all things for your good and for his glory. I close with this excerpt from the book, Sweet Persecution, a 30-minute devotional with reflections from the persecuted church. Ron Bracken says this, in God's kingdom, persecution, suffering, is to a believer like the blast of furnace to iron. At 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit, the blast furnace melts down the scrap iron, iron ore, and limestone in the checker chamber and turns it to steel. Alloy materials are added when the molten steel is tapped, tapped from the furnace. The slag floats to the surface and the steel and it is, is drawn off. And the steel then is poured into ingot molds. To be used, the steel ingots are rolled into sheets. They're removed, uh, they're removed from the mold and soaked, into, uh, and soaked in a pit at about 2,250 degrees Fahrenheit until they are white hot and soft. 
Then they are squeezed long and flat between the several sets of heavy rollers. The steel is hardened for a different purpose through tempering. Tempering, tempering actually changes the internal structure of the metal. I want you to think about it. It changes the internal structure of the metal the same way when we go through suffering, it changes the internal part of us. And it changes either one way or the other. Either it makes you harder towards God or it makes you softer to God. Either it turns you towards God or away from God. After the steel is heated to a very high temperature, it is quenched or rapidly cooled by plunging it into water, oil, or other liquid. The steel is then heated again to a temperature lower than before it was quenched and allowed to cool slowly. The temperature determines the toughness. The temperature determines the toughness. So too God controls the amount of degree of suffering by each of his children according to his plan and purposes. Everything is decided according to his plan and according to his purposes. Some go through harder testings than others, not because they are bad, but because God wants to temper them to, for them to be used for his kingdom. The strongest believers are those who have had great temperament. They have been greatly tempered. For God always has a purpose for our sufferings, whether we like it or not. God is in the midst. Jesus promised he would never leave us or forsake us. And Jesus himself says, Said, said to Paul and to all of us, my grace is sufficient for you, for, by my for my power is made perfect in weakness. And truly, God is working within our lives by allowing the things to come in them that will produce the maturity so that he can use us for our kingdom. Let us be not like the children of Israel who fought God all the way to the promised land and then didn't enter, their children did. Let us go as God tempers us with the trials, the tribulations, and thank the Lord for what he is doing in our lives. You have a leaflet in your bulletins. May the mind of Christ our Savior why don't we stand and sing that together? We'll sing the first three verses, pause for the benediction, and then we'll sing the last verse. Moses says in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 
Heavenly Father, as we pause before you, we thank you for all that you have brought us through this past year and into a new year. We realize that you are Lord and Savior. We realize that you will give us the strength to walk before you. We pray, Father, that you would guide this church. You would guide each person's heart here. May we seek your face. May we walk with you. And Lord, we know that we have your promise that if we walk with you, you will see us through each and every tribulation. And more importantly, Lord, that you will be glorified in our midst. So this is our longing and our desire. Go with us now. For with this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.